listeners, wherever you are in the world. Kent Garrison here, your host for the next hour, for an hour of wonder, whimsy, and delight, or an hour of hatred, sorrow, and misery, depending on your perspective. Yes, Kent Garrison here, uh, by myself for once, and um, hopefully the only time. If you're still listening after I said I was the only one on this episode, Godspeed and more power to you. But, um, yes, I am uh, on this episode by myself because I lost, lost a bet, lost a contest uh, on the Mad About Movies podcast, our previous summer movie draft. Uh, if you're a regular subscriber, you might notice that this episode is dropping Literally four and a half seconds before our next summer movie draft. That's because the loser of the previous summer movie draft, or the only summer movie draft we've we've had so far, which was last year, um, the loser had to do a solo podcast as chosen by the Mad About Movies co-hosts, including Brian Gill and Richard Barden. Tried to keep Richard out of it, but I was outvoted, per use. And the Mam Fam, the you, the listener out there. Uh, you were going to get a chance to vote on what you wanted the loser of the Mad About Movies summer movie draft, Extravaganza Palooza, first annual. Uh, what they would do, uh, what movie it was going to be. Was it going to be a good movie? You you can you could have taken a Best Picture winner. You know you want to hear my thoughts on Shakespeare and Love. Well, get ready, because uh, that one would probably be, probably be uh, an hour and a half long. Um, you could have chosen literally any movie in the history of cinema for me to review. And um, it was narrowed down to four lovely candidates. Um, some of those being ones that I would rather do than others, um, but none of them I would less want to do, or uh, none of them I would be least excited for than the one that we arrived on, that the Mam Fam arrived on. So I don't know if I should be thanking Richard and Brian. I don't know if I should be thanking you out there. Um, yeah, my cat is literally crying. If you're hearing in the background, my cat is crying because of the experience that I just had. Watching this film, Adam Sandler and Dennis Dugan's classic film, classic comedy, Grown Ups 2. Yeah, yeah, grown up, I said Grown Ups 2. Um, for some reason... They chose Grown Ups 2 for me to do. I think Grown Ups would have been bad enough, enough punishment for me uh, losing the Mad About Movies summer movie draft extravaganza palooza, first annual for The Cure. Um, but for some reason, they, they thought it would be just cruel, just that second nail in the coffin, that final uh, little piece to the puzzle would be Grown Ups 2 and uh, Man. I got to admit, I haven't seen Grown Ups, hadn't seen Grown Ups 2. This is my first experience with the property at all in any form or, or fashion. And uh, let me just preface this conversation uh, with you uh, by saying 
Let nothing you will hear for the next 20, 30, 40, an hour will be enhanced with dramatic effect. Nothing I will say, nothing that I have experienced that I will be talking about tonight is twisted in any way to enhance your experience. It's all 100% truthful. I'm coming to you live now. From my abode in Frisco, Texas, where we like to record Mad About Movies. If you're coming to us from west of the Rockies right now, we like to say welcome. And from east of the Rockies, we'd like to say welcome in to this exploration of Grown Ups 2. Why did it happen? When did it happen? Who did it happen for? And probably the biggest question of all, will it happen again? We're going to discuss that all more uh, over the next hour or so. So I've uh, gathered my thoughts, my list here uh, of my notes. I'm, yes, this is, if you're hearing, if you, if you have an audio device in your ears, you're hearing a 360 sound of the papers turning. Yes, papers, plural, on the notes that I've prepared for this exploration. Uh, I am finally doing it. It's been 364 days since the last summer movie draft. So the way the summer movie draft works is um, we each pick three movies that we think uh, are going to be money makers, if not critical hits, um, during the summer. The strategy I went for last summer was more for the money makers. I... Went for a couple of critical hits, maybe some surprise hits. I went all in on the risk rather than the reward. I thought uh, I was going to swing for the fences, if you will. Uh, If I was going to strike out, I was going to strike out swinging. And I definitely struck out. The films that I picked last time were Alien Covenant. It's really Scott's return to Alien. This one was actually titled Alien and not some weird... A Greek name like Prometheus. He was actually returning to his roots after the massive success of The Martian. I bet early on that, I, the way it happened actually was I had the third pick. So Richard and Brian had the first two picks. I thought at the time Alien Covenant was the safest choice, and that's the choice that I made. Not really regretting the pick. Uh, it had a pretty good critical uh, run. I think it was certified fresh, something like that. Uh, made a okay amount of money. It was not a big surprise hit. I think if it had been better received critically, maybe um, a, a quiet place rece- type reception or something, or if this had re- completely reinvigorated the Alien franchise in any way that was more exciting than before, maybe it would have done a little bit better. But that was a very mediocre outing. For Alien Covenant and uh, be interested to see if Ridley Scott returns to the well there anytime soon. Well, the next movie I picked was a risky one. Um, it's a movie that I despise. It's a movie franchise that I can't stand and, and hope that they never make anymore. Uh, it's the one that I will never show my kids. And if, I, if they see it uh, without me, I will wash their mouth out and eyes out with vigorous amounts of soap. No, I'm not talking about Now You See Me. That's probably the same, though. 
No, I'm not talking about Despicable Me. We'll talk about that later. I'm talking about Transformers. I don't see a point in these movies. They're a complete abomination to cinema, everything it represents. And I went out on a limb. I thought I was one of the only people who thought that they were a complete abomination because every Transformers movie up until this past summer has made $900 trillion. And I think that's an actual fact. can Google that one. But big flop for Transformers The Last Night, The Last One, as it's been dubbed on the interwebs. And um, you're welcome. I jinxed it. If Brian Gill had picked Transformers The Last Night, it would have been the biggest movie of all time. I can guarantee that. I also jinxed something that I think I should be receiving a lot more credit and praise for. Among the Mam fam out there, on social media. I made minions go away, guys. You're welcome. We had three Despicable Me movies and a Minions spinoff movie, not to mention multiple, multiple, numerous spinoff cartoon one-off specials on the Netflixes and the straight-to-DVDs of the world. Isn't that enough, Minions? Haven't we had enough? Do your kids know the difference between Despicable Me 1 and Despicable Me 2 and Despicable Me 3? I don't think they do. It's just Minions. I think you could probably play the same two and a half minute loop of Minions over and over again and your kids would still be entertained. So entertain that thought in your mind as you're looking for your next babysitter. Just put on a loop of the Minions and hit the town. Well, didn't make any money. Despicable Me 3, thought it was going to be every person, every parent, every orphan in town was going to go find somebody to take them to see the Minions, and it didn't happen. Um, Disappointing outing for me. I thought I was going to hit a home run box office-wise with that. I thought I was going to win on money. I thought it would be an okay movie, critically. Didn't think it would be great, but I thought it would be okay. Enough to give me the points in the competition, you know? Um... If I'm making $900 trillion every time out, it doesn't really matter how good they are. You'd think it would even out with some of these uh, lower-grossing, but better-received films. But I was wrong. Speaking of low-grossing, the final movie I picked for my summer movie draft was All Eyes on Me, the Tupac Shakur biopic. I know... A lot of you guys west of the Rockies tonight know Tupac Shakur, West Coast rapper, probably the most famous story in hip-hop, more famous than N.W.A. I know that Dr. Dre and Ice Cube have become big stars, but Tupac is the god of rap and is well-respected by pretty much everybody in rap culture. And I thought if the movie was just decent, that it would draw the crowds, and it would uh, be a surprise hit. And I was banking on a good critical uh, acceptance of the movie that never really came to fruition either. So that was it. It was Alien Covenant, Transformers, the last one. That next Minions movie that came out, don't, don't even remember which one it was, to be honest, and the Tupac movie. So I'm going to say... Right now, I'm not going to make the same mistakes this year. 
going to do a little bit more research, hopefully not have to review any more movies by myself. And so that uh, moves me on to Grown Ups 2, 2013's Grown Ups 2, by the way. I've been an Adam Sandler fan for a lot of my life. I would say the majority of my life. And uh, I came to know and love Adam Sandler when I was in grade school. I would say third, fourth, fifth grade, Adam Sandler really came strong into my zeitgeist. I was born in 1987, so uh, around third grade, I would have been about 10. So this would have been about 1997. This is when Adam Sandler is the king of high school comedy. Uh, I would say Jim Carrey was still pretty hot at that point. I was fading out a little bit Uh, in the late 90s. Adam Sandler was fading up, and I was more into Adam Sandler personally growing up than Jim Carrey. He was a little too outrageous for me. Adam Sandler was quirky enough and also uh, hearty enough for me to appreciate Uh, Something that Adam Sandler did early on in his career that he's gotten away from that um, I think he would be better off exploring more is the singing aspect. I thought he had some really fun songs, some albums, some comedy albums that he released back in the day that really gave him his own unique voice and comedy. It was almost like Steve Martin in the 1970s doing stand-up. There was really nothing like what he was doing at that time. Uh, So much so that when they hired him on SNL, that's all he really did for a while was go on Weekend Update and play his songs and be Adam Sandler. And no one could really top that bit for the longest time. Um, We all bought into it for the longest time. We We all saw Billy Madison numerous times. Uh, We all saw Happy Gilmore we somehow bought tickets to go see Little Nicky and the Waterboy uh, at the turn of the century. And he even kept us coming uh, with Big Daddy and Mr. Deeds. But the tides turned for Mr. Sandler. And I'm going to fast forward right now to 2013. I asked the question, who is this movie for? If it was for me, this movie would have featured a lot more people that I grew up with, right? It would have featured a lot more of a 90s soundtrack. This is a very 80s-focused soundtrack and movie. It's almost like they're aiming this towards my parents. There are a lot of jokes here that uh, are 1970s references, or there are jokes here that are 1980s references. Granted, I was born in the 1980s, but like I said, I was born in 1987, which means by the time I was able to watch Adam Sandler movies, um, with my parents' consent, mind you, was 1999. Uh, So why are we throwing it back, jokes-wise, in this movie to 1982? My parents didn't like Adam Sandler. My parents liked the comedy of the 1980s and 70s. Maybe if this movie starred Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, and so on. Oh, they already made that movie. It's called Caddyshack. I don't, I don't understand um, the plot of this movie. 
I don't understand what it's about. I ask you, if you've stumbled onto this podcast for some reason other than you knew this was a bit by me and you liked Grown Ups too, uh, I want to invite you now to pause this right now, throw your iPhone off a bridge. Um, I'm sorry that uh, you found this funny because I'm going to take you through my journey of watching Grown Ups 2 uh, right from the start. We open this cinematic adventure with a deer or elk. Could be an elk. I'm not going to discriminate by calling it a deer. A, uh, a forest creature in the home of Adam Sandler and Salma Hayek. Yes, the most believable couple in the history of Hollywood. Now, this deer is in their house, not as an intruder that they have welcomed. Uh, Adam Sandler actually says that it's um, her aunt or grandma. So we're hitting the ground running, jokes bias. This deer doesn't do anything or run around or break anything. No, the deer pisses on Adam Sandler's face. Yes, the opening scene 40 seconds into the film, we have a woodland creature pissing on Adam Sandler's face. And that's just a small indication of the journey that you would be in for for the next one hour and 25 minutes. The deer runs out of the house without breaking anything miraculously, except for a small monkey stuffed animal sock monkey puppet thing that uh, Adam Sandler's daughter had. And this will come into play later. Trust me. And uh, the deer runs off, and that was all because of nothing for no reason other than to have a wacky adventure with a deer in the house to start off this movie. I don't understand the tone that they're trying to set. Actually, yes, I do. It's a tone of deers pissing on people's faces. We move on to Chris Rock and his involvement in this film. I don't understand Chris Rock's involvement in this film. Chris Rock is a funny guy. He's a very funny guy. I know that when he reads comedy, when he reads a comedic script, he can say, man, Sandler, this is so funny. This is really good stuff, man. You're killing it. And uh, if he doesn't feel that way, I'm sure that he could say, man, Sandler, I'd really love to write with you. I think we could write some really funny stuff. I've seen Chris Rock perform stand-up comedy numerous times, and he goes out there for an hour and 20 minutes and kills. And you're sitting there for an hour and 20 minutes, and you're laughing the entire time. And it's side-splitting laughter. It's not a, an indication of a smile. It's side-splitting laughter. I don't understand how Chris Rock could spend so much of his time doing something that's so unfunny. Because comedy means so much to him. That's what I've heard so much about Adam Sandler and his entire operation. That all Adam Sandler really wants to do at the end of the day is make people laugh. I don't know if I believe that. I used to believe that. I believe that with his earlier films. Where I believe he is now is that he cares more about having fun than making people laugh. Case in point, 
grownups too. What's more fun than hanging out with four of your best friends, four of the funniest people, subjectively, that he knew, and you bring in David Spade, you bring in Kevin James, you got Salma Hayek as your wife, you're calling old SNL buddies, and we'll go down that road here in a second. And uh, what could be better? And you're all making money, right? You get this thing financed by a studio, major studio back in the day, and you're all got a big payday. You're cashing a check. Basically, Adam Sandler is just like, yeah, I can sit around, stand around in my college T-shirts that you've never heard of, that heard of the colleges, and basketball shorts, and not even be funny and still make $50 million dollars. I don't know why he would choose anything but doing that. The current path that he's on with this deal that he's done with Netflix, this exclusive contract for Adam Sandler to create films for Netflix is, he's basically retired at this point. He said, uh, well, I can do what I want, and you're still going to pay me a lot of money, but I don't have to deal with any of the BS of going to movie premieres, or doing promo tours, or working in the studio system. Okay, that sounds great. It's basically like he moved to, you know, Del Boca Vista in Florida, and he's playing golf from nine to five and sipping martinis um, at happy hour. That's essentially the life that Adam Sandler is living. Uh, he has his Happy Madison Productions is an impressive production company. I'm not going to dispute that. Uh, He's made a ton of money doing what he does, doing Adam Sandler things, and uh, um, Happy Madison just keeps cranking him out. There are rumors that he'll sit in writing sessions with his uh, his collaborators, and they'll sit there and they'll do 25 uh, story outlines. They'll do... 25 different uh, stories that they can make into Netflix movies right in that one session. And so he's not even stressing anymore. all, All he really wants is a premise. And that leads me back to Grown Ups 2 because what is the premise of this? The premise is Adam Sandler hanging out with David Spade, Kevin James, and Chris Rock, right? Why don't they allow them to be funny around each other? Why don't they allow Chris Rock to write any of his own material? Why don't they put him in awkward and funny situations and have them improv off each other? I'm sure that would be funnier than what was written on the page here. Surely can't be any unfunnier. Uh, The bits apparently with Chris Rock is that his kid likes to poo a lot and their parents, Maya Rudolph and him, don't like to change the kid's diaper. So that's that's the that's that bit. I'll just let you silently sit there and ponder that that piece of comedy. Hmm. Kevin James's bit with his kid is that his kid isn't smart. That that's the that's the bit. Chris Rock remembers his anniversary, but his wife doesn't. That's, um, that'd be something funny to, to happen to a real life couple, I guess, you know, if that, if that happened. There are no punchlines here. 
is the point I'm getting. There's no jokes in the movie. Funny situations, subjectively, no jokes. Not one punchline in the movie, except for some one-liners by Adam Sandler, which we'll get to momentarily. Apparently, David Spade is in a Joe Dirt all-the-time-everywhere mode. He's just going to wear flannel and grow his hair out and wear trucker hats all the time, or at least that's the character he's playing in this movie, if you want to call it a character. I don't understand that. I thought David Spade was a rich kid from New York or L.A. whose family run the Kate Spade Corporation and the purse company, and he came from a lot of money, and I don't understand. Actually, I do. Joe Dirt, I guess, because of Joe Dirt, that David Spade has adopted the red redneck NASCAR comedy-loving crew He's he's adopted he's taken that away from Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy and he's like you know what that crowd that's the crowd I'm gonna go for um, don't really understand that logic by David Spade but don't understand much of what David Spade does now or ever we have an argument between Adam Sandler and his wife for uh, not having a kid that's the main struggle in the movie I think uh, is them not wanting to have a kid and his logic is we already divide up a pizza fine with our family like we already order two pizzas so now we'll have to order three or a medium now that we have a kid but they live in a mansion so why do they care about having to order another half pizza it's not funny and it doesn't make sense so I'm gonna just move on Nick Swartzen shows up in this, of course, because it's an Adam Sandler movie. And his bit is that he's totally not gay, guys. He's totally not gay. And nothing about what they do with his character would suggest that he is gay in any stereotype or any form or fashion. Sherry O'Terry of Saturday Night Live fame shows up in this movie as a sixth-grade relationship of Adam Sandler in 2013. Yeah, it's 2018 now, and Sherry O'Terry has not done a lot since SNL. She hadn't done a lot since SNL in 2013, and trust me, five years ago, it was just as shocking to see Sherry O'Terry in anything than it is now. So good to see her, I guess. So, I watched this movie on FX Movies, and commercial break. That's another rant. Got a commercial break right here. And uh, so I pay for FX Movies, the FX channel and everything, and I go on demand, and I still have to watch commercial breaks for some reason, so that makes the cinematic experience just, just lovely. 17 minutes in with our, was our first commercial, and I wrote down here on my notes... Zero smiles, zero laughs. Yes, that's 17 minutes into an Adam Sandler comedy movie. That's pure one goal is to be funny. Zero smiles, zero laughs. Not only was I not laughing, I was not even smiling. 17 minutes in. We return from commercial break. 
to a rousing comedic sequence from John Lovitz. Yes, you thought Sherry O'Terry was irrelevant in 2013. John Lovitz is even more irrelevant in 2013. But you're in luck because he plays a janitor yoga instructor. Yeah. I mean, he just keeps getting typecast in these roles, and I feel sorry for John. But janitor yoga instructor? That might be a career path I need to go by. And it's not a offensive scene at all. I mean, he's just in there telling women to bend over and slap themselves and pervertedly watches them stretch. And then we move on. There's really no joke there other than John Lovitz is a pervert and we're moving on. There's nothing, didn't have anything to do with Adam Sandler and his wife, didn't have anything to do with the fact that Kevin James's kid isn't smart or the fact that Chris Rock's kid poops a lot and David Spade's got a big kid that's bigger than him, so that's that bit. But David Spade's not a not a really big guy, and that is his kid is taller than him, so that that's the that's the joke. Just pausing for laughter. Tim Meadows shows up here, another SNL veteran. It's like Adam Sandler really liked SNL. Um interesting that he picked the people that he did to be in this movie. I don't know if he worked with Tim Meadows for that long on SNL. Don't know if he worked with Sherry O'Terry for that long on SNL. I know they bring back some other SNL veterans later in this movie, and Taryn Killam and Andy Samberg, which I know they didn't work together on SNL, at least with Taryn Killam didn't. So this was just a, if you've been on SNL and you want to be in a movie, give Adam Sandler a call, and I'm sure he will oblige it. John Lovitz, the yoga instructor, moves on with his life. Tim Meadows is bald. That's that joke. And then we get this one-liner from Adam Sandler to David Spade. Yo, crocodile dumb D. How to go with the kid. Pausing for laughter. Yes, crocodile dumb D. Another reference for the generation prior to the generation Adam Sandler should be targeting with this movie and, frankly, all of his movies. We move on to a scene in a Kmart involving Nick Swardson in a raft. The raft comes out, blows up on its own, knocks Nick Swardson across the Kmart. That's the joke. And then we get an old guy saying, and I quote... Clean up on aisle nine after Nick Swardson takes a poo in a toilet. It's actually a little bit crazy to think that Adam Sandler has stooped to the levels of poo and pee humor at the age he is. I really didn't remember that much poo humor in Happy Gilmore. But it's been a while since I've watched it. I don't remember if Chubbs had a poo scene but it's been a while. Their kids are in high school, and they're struggling with regular high school issues, apparently. Um, I don't know why this was even a part of this movie. I don't know why you make this movie and have 
anyone in it in any scene that's not Adam Sandler or Chris Rock or Kevin James or David Spade or one of the other 25 cameos that you hired to be in this movie. Every scene that's just the kids is horrendously bad, not funny, and shouldn't be in the movie. Um, we get a, another one-liner from Adam Sandler to his friend Dante, who's the cop, and he says, Hey, Magnum P.U. <laughs> Ooh, I don't even need to pause for the laughter. I'm just going to laugh. Laugh out loud. Magnum P.I. is the reference there, and that's another show or reference that is the generation prior to the one he should have been targeting with this movie. Then we get Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, finally, somebody from the 90s, right? In this movie, as a cop. By the way, how, why have they not made, or how have they not made a movie called Shaq Cop? With Shaq as a cop, and he's just rolling down the street, being a cop. Like RoboCop style. I would see that. Shaq Cop would be a way better movie than Grown Ups 2. I can tell you that. Next commercial break. 28 minutes in. Notes indicate zero smiles. Zero indications of laughter. 28 minutes in. We return with a ballet sequence at school. And the ballet instructor being a voluptuous woman and everybody oogling over the ballet instructor. And then uh, Joe Dante saying the line, I'm going to arrest her for disturbing the peace in my pants. Pause for laughter. That's a self-explanatory joke right there. Then we fast forward to American treasure candidate, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Gotta admit, it was kind of good to see Stone Cold. It's always good to see Stone Cold. Almost hinted an indication of a smile when Stone Cold came on the screen, but then as soon as Adam Sandler started talking to him, all that was erased. Colin Quinn shows up. Another SNL alum. Hey, good to see you, Colin Quinn. Now, uh, what are you? What kind of com- comedic bit are you going to do? You're you're a very cultured person. Very accomplished stand-up comedian, had a good run on Weekend Update. I'm sure you'll bring some some lighthearted charm to this affair. Or we're just going to have you pretend like you're pooping out frozen yogurt. That's, that's that bit. That's, that's, that, that, that's all it was. It was just poo. Taylor Lautner shows up as a frat guy. Adam Sandler says the one-liner, hey there, Abercrombie. <laughs> because, of the, because of the store, Abercrombie. Another uh, great reference for 2013, Abercrombie and Fitch. Definitely not 10 years old. We have a car wash sequence where men are washing a car and people are offended by gay culture. In this movie, I, I, I got a ton of homophobia vibes in this that I uh, don't necessarily think should have been there. And then we have a ton of misogynistic vibes with the women and objectifying them and the swimsuits and the boobs on the windshield and all that. It's as cliche as it gets, and it's not funny. And at the end of the day, folks, let me remind you that uh, the one thing 
this movie set out to do was make you laugh. And uh, we were nowhere near a laugh. Okay. That is one hour and one minutes into the movie. No smiles, no indications of smiles. We return from break with a scene for Halloween. Baby conversation on the stairs with Adam Sandler and his wife. We're returning to that plot point because anybody needs to care about that. Uh, We have Kevin James with an inflatable raft in his pants trousers zipper thing. Which begs the question, did Adam Sandler discover the inflatable raft and base the movie around that? It's worth considering. Nick Swartzen is dressed up as Boy George. The Rock is dressed up as Prince. Adam Sandler is dressed up as Bruce Springsteen. uh, Kevin James is dressed up like Meatloaf. I think David Spade is one of the Hall & Oates guys, but that's not a bit unless there's another Hall or Oates. So it's just one of them, I guess. It's never really explained, but we're supposed to know who that is, I guess. Jay Giles' band is playing the Halloween party for some reason of a frat high school party that the parents crash but throw as their own party with Jay Giles' band. Yet another band, yeah, I'm sure you probably haven't heard of them if you're less than 45. Yeah, good band, fine, Jay Giles' band, great. No one cares. Should have been a 90s band. Could have been Gin Blossoms. People would have got that. Could have been Third Eye Blind. Could have been the Spin Doctors, right? Spin Doctors. But it was the Jay Giles band. Closest indication I had to a smile in this sequence was Steve Buscemi walking up dressed as Flavor Flav. The indication of that, just him dressed like that, was funny to me. But as soon as he started talking and they went there with that character, no. No. They show a dog doing a beer bong for some reason. Shaq pees in the pool. The power goes out and then Chris Rock's daughter discovers she can sing or decides at that moment that she's going to tell people she can sing. Because that's what normally happens when the power goes out at a party. One person starts singing show tunes or Jake Giles band songs, I guess. Adam Sandler decides to pick a fight with Stone Cold Steve Austin because that's what he should do. Then we get a commercial break. Hour and 18 minutes now with one tallied here indication of a smile with Steve Buscemi. We return from commercial and find that Chris Rock was not the only one dressed as Prince. No. Tim Meadows was dressed dressed as Prince as well. Would have been a perfect opportunity here for the Spin Doctors to be playing and the song Two Princes to be playing in the background. Again, another missed opportunity for Mr. Sandler. Larry Bird, somebody dressed as Larry Bird is fighting somebody for some reason because every 90s kid loved Larry Bird, I guess. 
Like I said, Adam Sandler carries, cares more about having fun than he does about making people laugh. These are things that Adam Sandler likes. Adam Sandler likes Magnum P.I. Adam Sandler likes Prince. Adam Sandler likes Larry Bird. Taylor Lautner kicks Adam Sandler's butt. Adam Sandler asks, were you nazed by ninjas or something? I don't know if that's a punchline. He just asks him that. He never really, he answers, didn't answer. Um, The monkey's back, by the way. Told you that was going to come back around. The stuffed monkey and the deer or elk. No discriminating. Return and knock Taylor Lautner out. And then every single frat bro in the party decides to leave because there's an elk. So I guess it's the international way of getting frat guys away is bring an elk and or deer and they will scatter. We end the movie with him walking up the stairs in his college t-shirt and basketball shorts. Talking to his lovely wife. They did have a kid, by the way, for some reason. And um, we end with fading out of the house and one last fart. And I will end this by saying the first smile of the movie came at one hour and 25 minutes when credits rolled. Thank you for listening to this. Hopefully I will not be back for the next summer movie draft. Hopefully I will never have to watch Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, Grown Ups 3, or 4 or 5. Sorry you had to go on this journey, and I hope you're better for it. Thanks so much. Good night. Good night.